0: Welcome to the ABA Journals Asked and Answered podcast. My name is Lee Rawls and you are not necessarily used to hearing my voice because your longtime host is Stephanie Francis Ward who is also here with us today. Hi Stephanie. Hello. We're doing this a little bit differently because you have some news for your listeners. After 13 years of hosting this podcast, we're we're coming to a close and and we didn't want to Just end the podcast. We wanted to let you have a proper goodbye. So, let's start it off. Why is it that uh, that we've decided that we're sunsetting the podcast?
1: Well, I am switching jobs. I will remain at the journal, but I am going into an editor position. And as you know, as you as are an editor, uh, you could certainly still host a podcast in it as an editor, but. I'm shelving this for now, uh, just so I can focus on some different tasks going forward.
0: There is a lot that gets added to your plate, for sure. Uh, And I know that, you know, personally, I host the Modern Law Library podcast, and there are always new books coming out, and that really helps generate ideas. You have come up with different topics every month since... uh, Let's see, your first episode aired April 5th, 2010. So it's it's been quite some time and I would love to hear a little bit about how the podcast got launched to begin with back in 2010.
1: Oh, sure. So I think at the time I was actually thinking of a career shift, believe it or not. I was interested in maybe shifting to designing continuing legal education classes. And I thought maybe this would be a good vehicle to dip my toe in it, even though they were not CLEs, just to show that I could design a good program. So that's why we started out, really, the first shows were like a CLE back in the old days with a panel. And it was almost like a roundtable format, uh, which worked at the time. But I think that our minds, everything's so much faster now that I don't even think that format would work anymore for a podcast. People want quick, interesting things, not um, something like a CLE is a CLE. It's not a podcast.
0: I'd agree with you there. It's been interesting seeing the different ways you've taken the podcast, because this really has been yours, your baby, and you've – you know, done some pivots when it comes to format over the years. Anyone who is listening and knows a little bit about audio production, we are so lucky to work with Legal Talk Network, who has audio producers and editors. But back in the day, you were literally recording a common conference call and Uh, My memory is that, uh, you know, we would then take it into a free audio editing program and remove the ums and ahs. But that was how basic it was back in 2010, 2011, when the podcast was first being produced. What other changes have you kind of seen during your time hosting this podcast?
1: I just think the
0: profession
1: has changed. I used to do a lot of podcasts about... How to start your own practice, or how to get clients to pay you if you it's your own practice. And for the past two or three years, the job market has been so good. There's still people who are starting their own practices, but they're much less common. And I mean, you know, when we started software for social media and just lots of offerings online weren't available and they weren't really um, intuitive. It was around that time that software to create things or do things became so easy so that you really didn't have to know DOS or anything like that to do something for your practice or to create something. I mean, we also, this was like right around the time, I don't even remember when Twitter blew up, but I remember having people talk about Twitter too, and how they would like schedule tweets, but never schedule a tweet when you're in a because then your client would think you were tweeting when you're in a DEP. <laughs> um, that came up at one. So... You know, now I think anybody can schedule a tweet ahead of time. That's not something that's like really hard to do.
0: Just to date the podcast again, as I was scrolling through, I saw that one of the episodes was how to build business on Google Plus, a service that Google What's killed. Google Plus? I, Google Plus is, is I so remember. old. Google Plus <laughs> was like the social network thing that Google tried for a hot minute and then decided wasn't worth it. Oh.
1: <laughs> Was that pre or post Facebook when everybody started using it?
0: Oh, it was post Facebook, uh, but okay. they just never right. really supported it. I think if we had to look at what would be a better analogy, it would be for LinkedIn. I think Google Plus was a, oh, yeah. a, an attempt for, <laughs> at LinkedIn before people were ready for LinkedIn.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, LinkedIn totally blew up. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, there were seminars at firms on how to use LinkedIn.
0: Get everyone in a room. And you know, that's the kind of stuff that you covered in your podcast. And I think people found really valuable. Another well that you returned to a lot was uh, something that clearly resonated based on the listening numbers. I think a lot of lawyers feel awkward in social situations and don't believe that everyone else also feels awkward, necessarily. You know, we had a lot of, you know, how to feel more comfortable at networking events, how to be a rainmaker when it doesn't feel natural to you. Uh, One of the all-time top episodes that I keep seeing pop up is The Shy Lawyer's Guide to Becoming a Rainmaker is such a classic. What were some of the tips that kind of stick with you from all of your guests over time about lawyers who feel awkward in social situations, business situations, feel that anxiety and pressure?
1: Well, one is to just put yourself out there. Two, if you're going to drink, just have one. And and I think this is totally true. If you feel awkward around people you don't know, see if you can help with the event. And you can even, it's funny because I'm kind of a rules person. I do even think about this, but you could like even create your own little job for yourself. <laughs> say, You know, like say, I don't know, say the Chicago Bar Association was having a cocktail party and you're a member and you say, hey, I want to volunteer as a greeter for your Chicago Bar Association cocktail party. Is that cool? And I remember asking that my guest, I'm like, I was kidding. I'm like, yeah, you could even like, like a banner for yourself. It says you're the greeter. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's a good idea. <laughs> so sometimes people that are good at networking just really put themselves out there and do things that the rest of us might think we're kind of weird or we feel embarrassed to do. But yeah, you've just got to push through, but also it's got to be comfortable for you. Because when it, when you can see someone's uncomfortableness during networking, it's painful to watch. Sadly, I've seen that many times.
0: Yes, it can make other people in the room uncomfortable for you. And yeah, anything you can do to put yourself more at ease. I I love, you know, even if you don't feel like you can greet people and be that kind of outgoing person, there's always going to be a need for, you know, boxes will need to be collapsed. Chairs will need to be distributed. Something. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you never
1: know what that's going to lead to. And you know, the other thing, too, that I think people forget, honestly, frankly, oftentimes men, <laughs> um, all you have to do is ask people questions about themselves. Most people love that, unless they're a really private person. You don't have to talk about you. That's where it gets uncomfortable, right? Just ask people questions
0: about themselves
1: and they love it, and they'll remember that you're like an awesome person.
0: And I hope this, you know, isn't isn't embarrassing to you for me to talk you up. But I have seen you in action doing this very thing. Uh, at the ABA Journal, we have a board of editors. And one of the fun things we get to do is once a year, twice a year, when the board of editors is meeting, they try and get us together for a luncheon so that they can meet us and we can meet them and we can discuss things. And I've been at tables with you before. And it's fascinating what you get people to talk about. And people really do let their guard down, open up. I feel like I get to know them so much better. And it's just, you know, you're asking the next logical question. So anyone who has been a longtime listener to this podcast... Stephanie's great at doing this outside of podcasts, too. Just in these social <laughs> situations, being like, "Oh, yeah, you grew up where? Tell me about that. And you find out the most <laughs> fascinating things.
1: Thank you so much. Um, yeah. And in this business, there's always interesting stuff out there to find out.
0: absolutely. Yeah. So I did ask you before we, got on uh, this podcast to think back over any favorite interview moments or guests you had. And I would love to hear just a couple of those. Now, you've had 100. This is your 170th episode. Um, oh, my heavens. I know, right? But uh, what are some of the more memorable ones you've had?
1: So I think the one that always sticks in my mind and it turned out really well, and this is an example of stuff that's kind of not an issue anymore for a lot of people, There is this lawyer I know in town whose firm does debt collection. And we were at a time where we wanted people to come into the show and record in person. He's a very sweet man. He was probably in his 70s. And I sent him uh, the questions I might ask. And it's just like, pro tip, if somebody is going to put you on a podcast and you send them the questions, that doesn't mean they want you to type up the answers so you can read them back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't do that. So, but that's what he did. And it turned out our recording thing was a little wonky. We were in this tiny room with the ABA. And we had to sit really close together, which was weird, too, for both of us, right? For, like, a writing. We were, like, in each other's personal space. And I saw that he had printed print- print out all my questions with answers. And he was reading off the answers. So I had to switch gears really quick and ask him just a bunch of different questions off the top of my head. And thankfully, uh, because I've been doing this for so long, I know that it can be a pain in the neck to get clients to pay. So, (laughs) um, but when I got him off script, it was a really good show and it was good advice because he's in a debt collection. He knows how to get people to pay.
0: Yeah, he had the answers already in his head. He just thought that he needed the this cheat sheet. I'm actually, this is reminding me of another podcast topic that I thought was brilliant, which was free yourself from note cards at trial. Oh yeah, and this was back in yeah, 2015, yeah. and you had Billy Martin on to talk about, you know, uh, oh, it was Billy Martin? It was Billy Martin? Oh, wow. And uh, it was all about how not to be the person who, you know, is only showing the jury and the judge the the crown of your head as you're you're looking at your note cards.
1: Um. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good analogy. Yeah, I mean, that's hard for people, too. I have to say, I mean, I'm not a trial lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. That's hard for me to get up and think on my feet and talk and ad lib. But if you're a lawyer and you can do that, it's really helpful. And I think some people are naturally gifted at it. Definitely. Certainly Billy Martin. <laughs> yeah. But you can be learned, too. Remember our uh, our former executive director, Jack Rives, I thought was a very good public speaker. And he didn't use – he and I had talked about that before, is how you can't, you know, and you just have bullet points. And But we also talked about during the Zoom period how hard it was for people like that that are such great speakers because they're used to feeding off the audience.
0: And you're not getting the same kind of um, mm-hmm. energy back from them. Well, I do exactly. know also with with Jack Rives, he, he was a good sp- public speaker and he he had his bullet points, but he also would would practice. You know, he mm-hmm. had a circle of people that he would go to and say, Hey, I'm giving a speech in a couple weeks or a few days and I and I wanna do a, a run through or two. So that's another thing. You know, if you've got people in your life who can can sit there and, and be that active audience. That's great.
1: Yeah. He was really good because, you know, it's always interesting at the House of Delegates, sometimes people will get up their their resolutions and read it off a piece of paper. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) what are you doing?
0: (laughs) Well, I would say when it comes to kinds of guests I've had, and I'm not going to name and shame, uh, but when you get the litigators, that's usually a fun rat-a-tat-tat conversation. Not always, But the trial attorneys usually give a a really good interview. Law professors often can give a really interesting interview. But just like with any professor you've had in any school, there are some professors who they're there to do the research, not necessarily to lecture to the class. And so sometimes you get an interviewee who you know and you can tell that this is a brilliant human being. The knowledge they have in their head is valuable. And it's so hard for them to explain it in this format in a way that grasps listeners. What would you do when you encountered that? Or would you try and kind of winnow those people out ahead of time?
1: I would like to say I tried to winnow them out ahead of time, but I didn't. And honestly, it's like, (laughs) that's when you have a 20-minute show, right? Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, let's wrap this up.
0: (laughs) This isn't going to be one of the 45-minute ones. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you've been great. <laughs> you've been great. Goodbye. But no, I'm so grateful to everyone who who comes on my show. And you've had some great guests. Another uh, a mini series you did, and you came up with this concept all on your own. You were like, "Hey, I'm worried that my normal asked and answer topics were getting a little stale. I'd like to try." a a project and this was in 2018 and it was we ended up calling it lived and learned so for anyone who didn't catch that this was one of my favorite projects that you did as part of asked and answered could you talk a little bit about it
1: oh yeah sure and that one I actually did pick my guests ahead of time because I knew them and I knew they were good conversationalists and what I loved about it I tend to want to do things as efficiently as possible And I was super busy with my other job, which was covering law schools. So I was able to do like five months of show records in one week.
0: You just scheduled everyone and then we rolled them out gradually. But um, just some of the guests you had on, Mia Yamamoto, uh, Lucian Cara, uh, Bobby Mm -hmm. Liebenberg, Michelle Coleman-Mays, just great guests. Everyone was so interesting. And it was... People who are further on in their careers, and you're asking them things like, "Well, what do you wish you'd known starting out?" And people had some really great non-standard advice. So I encourage anyone who maybe didn't catch that back in 2018 to to go back and listen.
1: Well, and the thing is, and this is I think really important for lawyers who want to be interviewed for anything to know. I knew they could tell me about themselves and be genuine without just blatantly self-promoting themselves. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people that are not very savvy, very bright but not very savvy, just want to get on and talk about their firms and their work. And that's only interesting like to them and their moms, right? So that was, that was key is I think all of those people were really, I knew they were great conversationalists who had interesting things to say. Now, it certainly promoted them as well, but they did it in a way that wasn't, I'm just here to promote myself.
0: Another thing that you've brought up when we have been kicking around podcast topics and, you know, you've been the captain of the ship, you've chosen them, but we did go through periods where we would, you know, discuss, oh, well, what should we, what should we be planning several months out? and. A piece of wisdom you had uh, that I think is useful to lawyers who do want to have more of a media presence is it's often very difficult to get lawyers to talk about a time when they experienced a failure or did something wrong. And if you can be that person who can be self-reflective, that's really valuable uh, to interviewers and to listeners, you know, that you – You know, you don't have to come on and say, I am a terrible lawyer. Obviously, we would suggest you not do that. But being able to admit when you had a learning experience uh, is, is great.
1: I think you're totally right. And that's true, like, for everything in life. And it's wonderful for your peers, too. Everybody makes mistakes, own it, and move on. That's how you learn.
0: Agreed. Another thing that I asked you to think about in preparation for our farewell discussion, was episode topics you'd like to revisit. And we did go back to certain wells that we saw people responded to, but are there any in particular that you'd let you are like, hey, it would be super interesting to think back to this 2011 episode and then see what people had to say in 2023?
1: Hmm, hmm, hmm. I think maybe how people think about and use social media might be a good one. Because, I mean, look at everything that's happened to Twitter slash X
0: mm-hmm. and, those, and the
1: other channels. How much LinkedIn has
0: exploded as a site where actual conversations yeah. are taking place instead of just, like, static posts.
1: Well, and I don't know. I don't even remember. Maybe you do because I think you're a lot better at Twitter than I am. But I don't even know when it got out if people were thinking that there'd be all these bots and you might get in, like – you might get, say something on Twitter that is really offensive to folks. And then it's like your national news the next day. You know, I don't know. I know that lawyers were always, some lawyers certainly were opposed to it and perhaps that was why, but it's changed just the way um, we used to use it, I think. And, you know, I'd also be interested, I think about myself as a mother I know there's lots of studies about this, but just the issues of having a full-time career outside the home and raising children, I'm wondering if it's different now than it was when we started, because I feel like this new generation of people after me are more likely to make, to demand fairness for themselves than earlier generations.
0: I think people are standing up for themselves more, yeah?
1: Yeah, exactly, which is super awesome. And then there's the remote piece. I know I think about like how often we just had to be in the office back when my children were babies. And I look at my colleagues that were in the office at the time and like the level of work that was being done. And I get kind of mad, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, why couldn't you have this um, when
0: Frank was teething?
1: Well, yeah. But it's, it's just that remote work piece and how it's changed parents' lives. Cause I do feel like before the pandemic there was this sense that if you weren't in the office all the time, you weren't serious. But everybody knows there's people in the office all the time that maybe do half the amount of work as um, people who are working remotely, (laughs) at least pre-pandemic. I think that might have been the case. Sometimes, not always.
0: Well, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our advertisers. But when we come back, let's talk about the pandemic and how it changed things. Mention LegalTalk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thisspanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. Alps designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as 10 minutes. Alps is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers malpractice insurance, and they're endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier. So they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is. And that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A-L-P-S insurance.com.
1: Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation
0: at staffy.cc. That's S T A F I. dot cc, and get five hundred dollars off with code Happy twenty four. Welcome back to Asked and Answered. I'm Lee Rawls, talking with Stephanie Francis Ward on her final, at least for now, uh, podcast of Asked and Answered. So, Stephanie, one of the questions I had, and I know you had. Uh, in March of 2020, when we were all sent home, was, oh gosh, how are we supposed to record our podcasts? You brought up the room <laughs> in the ABA that we used to use. And folks, it was it is windowless. It is basically a closet, a long closet. Uh, and it had all of our recording equipment in it.
1: It was pretty awesome. It really. was. It was pretty awesome. It's a good yeah. little
0: studio, um, but suddenly we were working from home and didn't have access to it. So can you... Think back and talk a little bit about uh, your your first recordings from home.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Well, those were something. We live in a 100-year-old house, and I think that my husband was working in the basement. And he is a lawyer that does union negotiations, which were—I couldn't kick him out of the basement because <laughs> he was, like, working around the clock. Plus, we also we would have the garbage truck that would come by, which you'd hear from the basement. So I wound up recording— in one of my children's closets, which was windowless. It was very hot <laughs> and we didn't have equipment. So, my, the same son, he is a big uh, gamer who would like to get on Discord and like, you know, just talk mess of his friends. Mm-hmm. So, he already had a Yeti mic. It didn't work very well. So, I borrowed his Yeti mic and Adam Lockwood, uh, one of my most favorite produ- uh, sound guys told me I could get it so that it stood in one place with ponytail holders.
0: Ponytail so holders,
1: high tech. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what, Adam is like a sound guy at heart, for sure. Um, so, yeah, we did ponytail holders, and that's that's what we did. Because that back bedroom, it echoes a lot. But his closet worked for the person. That was really unpleasant. That was super unpleasant. And like even like your chair would squeak. Mm-hmm. So I think we became a little bit more loose with the background audio cuz it's just that's what the world was.
0: That's what it was and and we both have dogs and the dogs don't understand uh the need for silence in a recording space. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I always crate mine and she gets super mad about that, <laughs> but she's cool once she's in there.
0: So, what other changes did you notice when it came to booking guests during and after, you know, we I wouldn't say the pandemic is over. People are still getting COVID-19, but um, we're certainly back to more of a normal. Uh, But these past three years, have you noticed a real shift in the industry? You started talking about, you know, I think people now realize how much can be done remotely. Anything else you've really seen over the past three years?
1: Yeah, I think that people are more willing to get help for mental health issues, oh, which that's is great. wonderful. We saw so much of that go up, and it used to be, I mean, I straightly remember during my career would have, if, you know, a lawyer might go to therapy, he or she had to be pushed to do it, and they'd insist on paying the therapist in cash and not paying insurance because they didn't want anybody to know about it. And like the lab programs, sadly, I don't think they got a lot of use. But I do feel like That's gotten much less of a stigma, which is really awesome. There's also, there's this remote piece and it's much, much more common. I don't know what's going to happen with all the remote workers when the job market goes down, but I mean, yeah, those are, and I think it's, you know, it's interesting. I think it's kind of changed how we dressed for work too, because it seems like when I do go in the office, it's perhaps a bit more casual than it was before, which is nice.
0: Yeah, that is nice. Um, Although I will say, certainly the first time I was coming into the office, I felt like I'd forgot everything I knew about dressing professionally. And I was like, I know I had a full wardrobe. I would go into the office five days a week. Where are my clothes? What was I wearing?
1: I know. Isn't it crazy to think about like when that was life? I'll have deja vu sometimes when I'm driving downtown during rush hour.
0: (laughs) I mean, Like I would do this Every day. I know, right? Yeah.
1: Goodness. We're really blessed that we can set our own schedules in terms of where we work. That's a really wonderful thing at the journal.
0: Very much so. Well, mental health was something that I feel like you were doing episodes on much earlier than perhaps a lot of people in the profession were open to discussing it. I'm thinking about. This is not a super long ago episode, but, you know, you talked to Brian Cuban. We've talked to Patrick Krill many times. You really had mental health as a focus for the podcast, like I said, pretty early on. Why was that important to you? And was it difficult to book people to get on and talk about it?
1: Oh, sure. Well, so I am a first-generation college graduate and honestly, I mean, I come from like generations of trauma on both sides and no one got mental health until uh, my generation. And I just see how much it can help you as a human being and what a difference it makes. It's like I said earlier, as you know, everyone makes mistakes and shame is such a, shame is such an unhealthy emotion. And I feel like that's been a piece for so many lawyers. So when I come across attorneys that you know have done work on their mental health or you know and or they're in recovery i feel like they have really wonderful information to share you can learn a lot from them
0: well as we mentioned up top you're changing roles at the journal from being a senior legal writer to being an assistant managing editor and you now are going to be covering more or different topics so here's a great chance to let people know how they can pitch you? What are the kinds of work that you're going to be doing going forward that you'd love for people to touch base with you about?
1: Oh, sure. So it's a little different because I don't have like a defined area per se. I am responsible for the inner Alia section of our magazine, which is basically the front of the book. And I'm also responsible for Practice Matters which mostly has to do with ethics or like law practice management to a certain extent. And then as always, and all of the um, AMEs are interested in the web first story. So it's, and so news, basically, if anybody thinks there's a story that hasn't been done that lawyers are interested in reading, hit me up because that's what I want. I want stories that haven't been done a million times that our audience would find interesting.
0: I love it. And how can people
1: do that? How can they reach out to you? Stephanie. Ward at AmericanBar.org.
0: Wonderful. Well, are there any closing thoughts you would have to listeners who have been with you for, you know, years or even just a few episodes?
1: Thank you. I know there was a time when this was the only podcast, and then we got advertising, which was super exciting. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> this was back when the market was a lot better or worse, rather. And I'm like, Oh, well if I host a podcast that's bringing in revenue, I probably won't get laid off. So that was cool. <laughs> so
0: Yes, thank you very much to all the listeners for helping Yeah. <laughs> helping boost boost those stats for sure.
1: Yeah, that's important. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much. I really it's been great.
0: And thank you Stephanie. I mean, starting from April 5th, 2010 in an episode about alternative billing, to your, you know, previous episode, your most recent episodes about, you know, AI in the profession. It's just, I do encourage listeners to scroll back through the early episodes because it really can be kind of a snapshot of what the legal community was discussing over the past decade. And I, I think it's, it's valuable work you've done, Stephanie, and thank you so much for doing it.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lee. Thank you for all your support,
0: and thank you to the listeners of Asked and Answered. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can leave a last review or a rating. The episodes will remain up. You can always go back and listen to older episodes, and you know who knows what's in the future. You can also listen to the AB Journal's other two podcasts. Uh, the one that I primarily host, which is Modern Law Library or the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast. Those both will still be producing episodes.
1: So I'm Stephanie Francis Ward. Uh, Joining me is my colleague, Lee Rawls. And thank you for listening to the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered.